Pleasure to talk with Kathy uh, Guillermo now, Senior Vice President of Equine Matters for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which, of course, known as PETA. Kathy, good to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Pleased to be here. I know I've had people in from PETA before. I'm not sure you were with us, but I'm glad you're with us now. Uh, certainly, we know the good work that you do, and many of us who care about animals which are a lot of people, thank goodness, and you help with your PETA organization. We're very uh, upset about hearing so many horses that have died recently. And every year, I think we talk about uh, horse racing. Is it horse abuse and whatever? So give us your take on some of the things that we're hearing about horses. I don't know if they've been covered up before about horses being abused and and hurt, and what are you finding out in your research? Well, we know from what we have seen both in our undercover investigations and through following the industry very closely is that horses are dying every day on racetracks in the United States. This has always happened, and what we see that's different now is that the American public is outraged by it, and it gets headlines. I think the the media surrounding the Triple Crown races this season, the Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes and Belmont Stakes, was really more about who's going to die rather than who's going to win. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening now. They cannot keep their athletes alive in the sport, and if they can't, then they really don't deserve to exist in the sport. I was reading some things about, uh, you know, that, that will make you sick when you hear about it. Uh, procedures carried out on horses. Uh, Tell us about some of the things that they're doing to these horses and and why they're doing it. Well, in the racing industry, what what we see is that horses are really denied everything or many of the things that, that make their lives worth living. They're herd animals who want to be outside with others of their own kind. Instead, they're kept in stalls for 23 hours a day, they, they may get out to, to train and to race, and, and that's about it for, the, for all the years that they're, that they're forced to do this. Um, on top of that, what we see is the misuse of medication, and that really is directly linked to the deaths that we see. Uh, there were 12 horses who died at Churchill Downs in the weeks around in the Kentucky Derby, and it was investigated, and the, the response from the racing industry is, well, we really don't know why it happened. And I think this is a lie. Uh, They do know why this happens. This happens because horses are pushed beyond their limits and they're medicated to keep them training and racing when they should be rested. There's so much that could be done to, to make this better. But when we're talking about something upwards of 15 to 20 injections of medication given to horses in the weeks leading up to a race, that's really a chemical horse then. That's not a horse who's running for the love of running. It's not a horse who chooses to do what he's doing. It's a horse who's probably injured, who's being forced to be out there, and his pain is being masked with medication. But it seems like even more, it's more extreme now than ever. Is uh, there a reason for that? I mean, I know this has been going on forever, but I've heard more problems these days. They're getting more... uh, Brazen with the trying to win, is that it? Or I, I think there is some of that going on. I think when we see this at the very highest levels of racing, at the Kentucky Derby, you know, when we see a horse die on the very day of, of the Kentucky Derby Day, and this, this isn't the first time it's happened, but I, I, I think 
what we're seeing now is a, a bit of desperation on the part of the racing industry. Their sport is spiraling in popularity. Uh, you know, if you go to most racetracks, they're like ghost towns. And the betting has not improved or increased in recent years, the total amount of money bet. Uh, and they're looking for a way to make money. And they don't make money if the horses are recuperating from injury. You know, they if they're resting. They only make money when the horses are out there on the track. And so there is a push to keep these horses going when they shouldn't be. I don't want to forget to ask you about this because we talked about it uh, yesterday in this program, Kathy. Uh, we used to have dog racing track in our area, Plainfield Dog Racing, which uh, is no more because of some of the things we're talking about with the horses. Um, you know, we heard some horror stories with the dogs. Do we still have that in this country? Very little dog racing now. I think there is one state where there is a track kind of limping along, and it's not long for this world. And it's a good analogy because I think that's very much what is happening with horse racing. Once people understand or understood that the dogs were were kept in, in crates for much of their lives, that they were drugged, that they were often abandoned or killed when they were no longer profitable or useful, then people turned away from it and people began to look at legislation to prohibit it. And that's what's happened. And we, we see this to a great extent with horse racing, too, because... Many tracks would not be open if they weren't subsidized by the state. We've done a great deal of work in New York State, for example, and the, the 11 racetracks there get $230 million every year from a video lottery terminal profits. They're propped up by the state. And once legislation is introduced that ends that, then we're going to see the same thing happening with horse racing that we, see, that we saw with dog racing. Excuse me. Well, it's unlikely that they're going to stop horse racing in the near future, but what can we do to make sure that uh, these horses, in the meantime, are not getting abused? Well, that's the, the standpoint that we operate from. We're not going to see it end right away, but there are things that can be done, and the, and the industry has an obligation to do it. The first thing is to end the medication. Horses should not be given medication in the two weeks leading up to a race. And if they need medication because they're injured, they shouldn't be raced. It's, it's very straightforward. Uh, we advocate for a switch to all synthetic tracks because the industry's own data show that it's the safest track rather than dirt or grass uh, for horses to run on. There are far fewer deaths, so that could be changed. We advocate for CT imaging equipment because it's so sophisticated now it's low radiation the horses don't have to be anesthetized and uh, pre-existing injuries or injuries to the soft tissue or the bone can be spotted it can be used as a screen and then those horses can be protected i think what's really important is that anybody who's violating the rules that are now in place anybody who's drugging horses or operating in such a way that it risks the animals needs to be kicked out of the sport Right now, it's a slap on the wrist, a fine, maybe a week suspension, at the most a month suspension. But what we really need to do is see racing kick out the bad players here. Don't let them race. If somebody knows that if a horse dies, they may be looking at expulsion from horse racing, they're going to be much more careful. It's an excellent point. I mean, we've heard uh, you know many times of... Uh somebody who's owned a horse and uh, the horses have been sick or died and this and then you see them again uh, the next 
And they have no idea. I can't imagine how they wouldn't have any idea. Do they do? Um, do they do autopsies with these horses? They do in some states. It's required in California, for example. They they do some in New York and in Kentucky. It's not required in every state, but that's where so much information comes from. The decades of necropsies on horses in California. Those the information from those have shown that when the horse breaks a bone, there is an injury there in 90% of the cases already before that bone broke. So the horse was vulnerable going into that race. And it's important, I think, that those necropsies continue and that they act on the information that's discovered rather than just writing papers about it and ignoring it. So if they didn't have these other things, I mean, uh, you look at a horse and people say, oh, the horses, they love to run. It's, it's, you know, it's what they do. How do you answer that? I think horses do love to run. You know, we see horses in field and in fields and we see them enjoying themselves, and especially in the early morning when it's cool or when fall comes. Mm-hmm. I think horses love to run. I don't think horses love to race. And we can, we can tell this from the fact that many horses have to be given sedatives to help them cope with their lives. Most uh, thoroughbreds on, who live on racetracks, and, and most of these horses do live at the tracks where they race, have ulcers that have to be dealt with. I've talked to many people who rescue thoroughbreds when they're no longer useful to the industry, and we're talking horses who are five or six years old, who, whose bodies have just become physically mature. They're being kicked out of racing because they're no longer profitable and they have PTSD. It can sometimes take months for the horses to relax enough to begin to cope with their new lives, even if those lives are much better. So they really get addicted to, to racing and then uh, there's no other way for them to live. And as, well, That's amazing. I had never thought of that theory of the, they're stressed out when they're not doing it. That's right. I, I mean, it's, if, if you think about it, if you're, a, if you're a herd animal who derives your comfort and your sense of security from living among other horses, mm-hmm. but you're physically separated from horses all the time, then, then that in itself is a major stressor before we even talk about medication and hard training. Now, uh, Kathy, um, I was just reading about that you have unnecessary amputations. Could you touch on that? Yes, that's a different area where, where horses are, are being abused, and they're not racehorses in this case. They are the beautiful and iconic Budweiser Clydesdale. Mm-hmm. And we looked into it. We went uh, undercover at, at Warm Springs Ranch, where the horses are born, and Grant's Farm, where the adult Clydesdales live, both in Missouri. And we found that the horses' tails, their tail bones, are being amputated when they're quite young. And, and this, this is not just the hair of the tail. We're talking about the bones that extend from the spine, part of the spinal cord, and that, that hold the hair uh, onto the skin of the horses. Those bones are being cut off, and it's just done for cosmetic reasons, so that they'll look a certain way when they're mm-hmm. pulling that beer wagon. Mm-hmm. And if you Google Budweiser Clydesdales and look at the photos, you can see quite easily that they don't have tails, They have little tiny nubs that are tied up with a bow. And we're advocating for an end to that practice because there's no good reason for it. Most veterinarians oppose it, and it really needs to stop immediately. 
Well, that's something that's something that I've, I've never heard of, so I'm learning a lot from you, Kathy. I think a listener has a question. Do you have a question for our guest? I do. What is it? Um, what are the procedures that they use to enter a horse into a race? And I would think that um, there would be some kind of state mandates where racetracks are for the racetrack people to... Um, Evaluate the horse before it actually goes enter. You know, actually gets up to the start starting line. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I'm okay. What about uh, you know when a horse is getting into a race? What kind of watchdogs do we have for horses? Yes, that that would be the the logical place that they should catch that a horse may have an injury. And in fact, there are requirements that that a steward an employee of the racetrack or of the state in the racing uh, where the racing occurs will observe the horse trotting up and down uh, what's called the shed row behind the track there the problem with this is that it's simply not enough if the horse has had two weeks of anti-inflammatory medication even if much of that medication has gone from its system on the day of the race it's still feeling the effects of it and a horse who's injured may not show that, that he has that injury because he's simply not feeling it, so he's not limping. It's just an inadequate thing to do. What has been done in California, where we've worked with the California Horse Racing Board to implement changes, that they've, become, they've begun a whole series of checks on the horses so that somebody at the track is observing every horse who's training and seeing what condition they're in when they're out there training. They're looking at the veterinary records. They're looking for prior injuries. They're looking to see if they've had... Uh, a number of medications uh, leading up to the races. They have requirements that the horses have to be living at the track for a week before the race. And all of this helps to gain information so that they can try to keep those injured or at-risk horses from racing. It's still not enough. Horses are still dying, but we have seen numbers of deaths drop by half in California since they've implemented these procedures. And this is the very least that all racetracks could do. They seem to put uh, horses to sleep um, if they break a leg or something like that. Is all is that always necessary? I'm sorry, I missed the first part of that question. You know, when you hear uh, we're, we're going to have to put the uh, animal uh, to sleep because of some kind of an injury, like uh, an injury to the foot, is that always necessary, or can they heal on their own? It isn't always necessary, and one of the things that I know that Santa Anita Racetrack has done is they've begun to implement a triage where they can see, will a surgery correct this? It's unlikely the horse would ever race again, but the horse could go on to have a pretty decent life. But in many cases, yes, there's simply no way for a horse to recover adequately from a catastrophic Mm -hmm. broken bone such as they suffer. And that's why it's so important that everything be done to prevent that in the first place, because it's not... It's not like a human being who can go have surgery, a pin in the cast, and, and be good in a few months. So how does it work with your organization? Everybody knows about PETA, and I know you have probably a very big membership. What is your daily uh, work, and how do you uh, work it to prevent some of these things? Do you visit lots of uh, tracks, or how does this work? Well, first of all, we do something that few other organizations do. We do undercover investigations. Mm -hmm. So we have people working in various places where racing takes place. 
We've done um, nine undercover investigations of the horse racing industry so far, uh, dealing with issues like the, the overworking and medic- over-medicating of horses, um, dealing with what happens to horses when they're cast off by the industry, what happens uh, when they go to these auctions and found that they end up often on trucks bound for slaughter in Canada and Mexico. Oh, my God. We've exposed the slaughter industry in Japan where some racehorses are sold, and there's, there's no place for these horses to go at the end of their, of their racing careers, but we actually filmed inside that slaughterhouse. Um, we've exposed in South Korea where the the people involved in racing there love to buy American horses because they race their horses on dirt, just as is done in the U.S., but in few other places in the world. And they don't have a place for their horses to go either, and it's quite acceptable to send them to slaughter. So we've, we've really tried to show people what can happen to these horses. Uh, the, the other thing that we do is constantly reaching out to people in the industry. We have had discussions with um, Stronic, which owns uh, uh, Santa Anita and Gulfstream and Pimlico, with Churchill Downs, um, with Delmar Racing in Southern California. We've tried to have discussions with the New York racing industry and they're less willing to talk. So when we can't get anything done through discussions, we will campaign and we will work on laws to change things. Uh, so we, we will do protests sometimes. Uh, most, most effective is documenting what happens and exposing it and encouraging the media to cover it. And, and that's been very key for the public to see what goes on so that they can make their own decisions about whether or not they want to support it. So they go up, uh, some of these horses, when they retire, they're up for auction, and we don't know what happens after that most of the time, huh? That can happen. Now, we, we did press the industry in 2012 to begin the first-ever racing industry-supported retirement program called the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, and it, it it's a bit of a drop-in-the-bucket situation. They are taking care of some horses, but they desperately need funding, which the racing industry has failed to provide adequately. And so, yes, what can happen with these horses is they can be just sent to an auction, and at that auction are what's commonly called kill buyers, and they may pay a couple hundred dollars for an old, sick thoroughbred and then put that horse in a, in a truck and truck them out of this country where you can't slaughter horses in that way, but into Canada or Mexico where you can, and they're literally sold by the pound then, and their flesh is sent to Europe and Asia where people consume uh, horse flesh. Wow. Well, yeah, that, is that a very unusual, horse meat? Uh, they don't sell that in this country, do they? It's very unusual here. That's correct. But in, in some places, and in Asia, in some places in Asia, it's quite common. It certainly is in Japan and South Korea where where we've documented the slaughterhouses and seen inside them. And in France and in some other European countries, it's considered a delicacy. I don't know how anybody can stomach the thought of, first of all, eating a horse. I think it's contrary to what what we in this country think about. But aside from that, think about all the medications that these horses have Mm -hmm. had that exist somewhere in that flesh that people are consuming. So uh, these horses, they get medication even if you don't even know there's a problem and they, it was just to protect them against things? or Well, you know, that's true. They, they, 
as part of their general care in much of the racing world today, injecting a horse with a painkiller and an anti-inflammatory is just the thing that you do like throwing hay into their stall. And we see Mm -hmm. tracks that may in the past have had one or two veterinarians who would help people with sick or injured horses have a couple of dozen veterinarians whose job basically is to provide the medications that the trainers request. And so this is why we'll see horses just routinely given painkillers, anti-inflammatories, and sedatives um, without even an examination in some cases. Bob Baffert, the famous trainer uh, who's trained Triple Crown winners, his veterinarian in California has just been put on probation for prescribing medication to horses he never examined. And this is, of course, entirely contrary to what the veterinary profession is supposed to be about. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Let me take one more call here. Hi, WIC. It's your question for my guest. Yes, I have a question, but it's kind of like off the beaten path from racehorses. I'm wondering if her organization ever investigates the horse's that have to wear the shoe lift that make them prance at horse shows that is totally abusive to the horse and they wind up crippling them? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Thank you. Shoe lifts. You heard about yes, that, I'm sure. She's talking about the Tennessee walking horses, mm-hmm. who, and, and really it is some of the worst abuse I've ever seen. Uh, they're, they're because they have this very high step uh, when they show in order to achieve that some people actually injure the inside of the hooves of the horses they'll put acid or painful rocks or they'll put very heavy boots on them so that when the boots come off the horse lifts up the leg higher naturally Um, it is truly terrible and it is illegal but it is not properly enforced PETA has not worked on that issue simply because there are other organizations that are working on it Um, And so for that reason, we focus where others aren't. We have another couple of minutes with Kathy uh, Galermo, Senior Vice President of Equine Matters for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Do you have a question for our guest? Yes, uh, just a quick question again, Sue. No, you've been on. I'm sorry, dear. We've got to have other people have a chance. Uh, well, let's see. How, what can we do? Because most of us love our animals. We don't want to hurt any animals. We, When we hear these things, it, we shudder to, you know, because you always think, well, these animals, the horses are treated kindly. And uh, what can we do to help you? It would be wonderful if people would educate themselves. And we try to make that easy. You can Google PETA and horse racing or PETA and Budweiser, or you can go to our website, PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org, and there are simple action alerts that people can take. I think with horse racing, it's really important not to bet and not to go to the races while these abuses are going on mm-hmm. and to show the industry that you're not going to be, you're not going to support it. That's what they're most afraid of and that most inspires change. Already people are turning away from horse racing, and if they see that Uh, It's not going to be supported, even by watching the Kentucky Derby on TV. Um, If they see that, then that is the way we're going to make change. Well, I know that there's wonderful things um, with horses now, helping people with depression or soldiers that have come back. And uh, because horses have a, a lot of sensibility that people, I don't think, realize and they can be used for wonderful reasons as a friend to somebody. And maybe that side of things, certainly 
It's good to know about horses. You, I'm sure you know a lot about that, Kathy. It, they are incredibly sensitive and wonderful, intelligent animals. And if humans take the time to get to know them on, in their world, how they experience the world, it can be a, a very rewarding relationship. And I do know that some thoroughbreds have gone to the programs that you're talking about where they have themselves, the horses, suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, helping humans who come back from mm -hmm. uh, battlefield experiences and suffer the same thing. And I think that can be a very good way for humans and horses to interact in a way that can be beneficial for both of them. All right, here's our last call. Hi, WICH, you have a question. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, what's your question, please? The question is, um, in France, it's no pit bull. No more pit bull. I don't know why. Okay, we're talking about horses right now. Oh, and about the, in France, the anesthesia, the animal before kills in. Because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the cow or the horse or what... Because they eat horses, oh my God! But anyway. Okay, I know you take care of your animals, and we appreciate. Oh, any animal, I don't care. And every dog and cat should have a chip. Okay. Thank you. Should have the law, like that. We would know who's the owner. All right, Helen. Thank you. Helen is a uh, true animal lover, and takes care of all of her pets. Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Keep up the good work, and uh, you know we. I remember our listeners are much more aware of what's going on. And certainly most people uh, love horses, don't want them ever to be hurt, given medicine they don't need. And uh, next time I see a horse race, I'll think more about it. So I appreciate it, Kathy. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. All right. Good luck with what you do. Thank you. Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Equine Matters for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals.